Welcome to Market Savvy Conversations. My name is Megan Walker, your host. And today, coming back for round two, our special guest is Kay Frankham, <laughs> clinical psychologist based in Melbourne. Hi, Kay, how are you? I'm very well, very well for somebody in lockdown number six. I'm good. Thank oh, you, Megan. Oh, and counting. <laughs> no. Yes. Um, Kay and I had a fantastic conversation recently all about uh, waiting list risks which once we started getting into that conversation, I certainly realised uh, a lot more than I didn't know. Things like uh, who's on your list, um, current and optimal caseload, what you can and actually can't handle. So if you haven't seen that episode yet, I do really recommend that you check it out. Kay has got some very fantastic uh, suggestions about you know, you know, how to sort of have a more hygienic list and manage that process and, and you know, thinking about your duty of care. Kay, did you want to add anything to that before we talk about our follow-on piece? Not really. I guess I would, uh, except to say that I would say that uh, waiting list management is like the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. So it, it will be the thing that is telling you things are not quite right, either out in the world, which is true, um, and the mental health demands are, are pretty massive, as everybody knows, yeah. but also maybe... Uh, it's pointing out to you that some of the things you need to do um, toot sweet um, in your practice are um, you're over time in waiting mm -hmm. to do those. Um, and so to that extent, I guess I'd say, you know, it looks a bit like let's all argue over how to manage wait lists uh, while, you know, Rome burns really. Um, so we've got to, I think, get our heads screwed on about the fact that, that the wait list management is just a, a symptom really of other things. Um, and some of them are extrinsic, some of them are intrinsic to our practices. So just being clear in your own mind about what's going on and why, um, and delving into your own reporting systems um, and the way in which you're managing things. So we'll talk a bit more about that today, I guess. Mm, absolutely. In that conversation, it came up quite a lot about the importance of having a really good uh, reception or frontline response to inquiries and yep. bookings. And so we thought today we would focus on how to increase your customer service and your client intake process and some of those policies. And Kay is approaching this from a position of expertise, having been in the field directly as a business owner. Kay, do you want to just touch to that quickly for people who haven't met you yet? Yes. Uh, well, I've, I've had Two, two or three practices over my lifetime as a psychologist, which is nearly 35 years worth. Um, but the most recent was here in metropolitan Melbourne, nearly 20 years um, in Williamstown, where I had a practice of 16 clinicians that I sold, uh, sold that practice, not sold them, <laughs> sold the practice, um, in 2018. And I've written a book about how to set up a private practice back in 2016 with a couple of other authors. And so um, I'm in my third career iteration as uh, a coach and with uh, both the business side and also the clinical and supervisory side of running psychology practices in particular. But much as much we'll, what we'll talk about today hopefully also applies to many allied health services. Mm, across the board. Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to kick off with talking about a good triage system. So when the phone rings, and that's an issue even in itself. I should have a question even before that. The different options for receiving that potential appointment, be it mobile phone to message bank, be it reception, be it outsourced reception. Um, do you want to even just touch on that first, Kay? Totally. Like the different ways people can take calls? You, you've, you've kind of stole my thunder because I guess <laughs> I would say 
Um, I was just sort of preparing some slides for another presentation um, about, and the, the title of the slide, you'd love this, is um, things that you thought you would or could never do. <laughs> and um, the, the list goes like this, digital notes, and there's a bunch of other things. But one of them uh, was streamlining and automating, but the other one was stop picking up the phone. Mm. Now, <clears throat> scary. Um, many of us, you know, obviously, if you've been a solo, um, you know, sole trader and you still are a sole trader, picking up the phone seems like, you know, a pretty natural thing to do. But of course, it leads to um, a number of, you know, I guess, activities and tasks that then flow from there, many of which are manualized or have some manual aspect to them. Mm -hmm. So, I guess the question for me is, do, should we, if we're in solo practice, be operating off a phone-based contact um, approach? Or do we say to people, and we talked a bit about this last time, mm. um, please access the client portal or the um, inquiry portal of my website, um, go in, upload your documents, answer the forms there, and we will take that as an expression of interest in coming to our practice. Um, and then we will be in touch with you. Mm. Um, so that you, that, and basically you're also potentially saying on that site, unless we receive all of the documentation, then we can't progress your inquiry. Now, this may sound very elitist and kind of high-handed, you know, we'll just think about whether we really want to work with you. But I think there are ways of it, explaining this to clients. And it, it goes to the other question later on, which is, you know, what do we do about um, client cancellations and no-shows, especially off a wait list? And I guess it really, it, what I find when I'm reading a lot of the materials that I see from practices, because practices that I coach send me their policies and procedures to review. Mm -hmm. um, and what you see is a lot of this. Yes. Don't cancel in under 24 hours or you will get a cancellation fee. Mm -hmm. If you don't send us all your documents, you will not be progressed to the wait list. Mm -hmm. um, so as soon as you hear that little, that voice, that ticking you off voice, um, you probably know that you're not actually talking to the client from their perspective. Yeah. Why do we have cancellation fees? Why do we have wait lists? Why are there forms? What are we, how are we explaining that to clients that makes it clear to them this is a way to get a better service? Mm -hmm. You don't want to spend time on a wait list for a clinic that is not for you. Yeah. You don't want to spend time on a wait list when you can't afford our service mm. or it's the wrong type of presentation for our service or you don't have a care plan and then you're going to have to go back to the doctor and we're going to be offering you an appointment off a cancellation list today or tomorrow and you go, mm. oh, I haven't got my care plan. Paperwork. Mm. Yeah, so if you don't have your paperwork, big problem if you want to get a reimbursement. However, explain to people what then needs to happen, referring them to the appropriate resources of which some have been written very nicely by a number of psychologists or Medicare if, if you really want to go the bureaucratic route. But, you know, I think it's just thinking about how am I going to express this to my clients or potential clients in such a way that they go, oh, yeah, okay, I see why they're doing this, rather yeah. than, as we all do, not another, you know, form to fill out not another password to create, yeah. you know, and to fax machine to find uh, fax <coughs> machine because, you know, we still are working on that sort of basis when we don't need to. 
um, which I guess then goes to, you know, you really need to think about what is your practice management system doing to help you with this? Yeah, interesting. So you've got the, I, I hear what you're saying. So if you are a sole practitioner, you can use your website to be a far more powerful tool to yep. triage and flow through people as a workflow. Yes. Uh, and there's definitely tools that can allow that. If we and also, at, Megan, can I just say, also, yeah, if you please. want to use a virtual assistant, speaking mm. of administration, mm. like you were speaking, it's so yeah. much easier for a virtual assistant, you know, somebody remotely to look at that material for you and then um, give you a list of if, who's got all their paperwork, help you to make the right calls about who is who you can help and who you can't, whether you're mm. going to keep a wait list, how long people can be on the wait list for if they can't be off an appointment, as I mentioned last time, within six weeks, you need to think, carefully about whether you should continue to have that wait list open mm. this sort of stuff so you've, you've just got a lot more maneuverability and it's not click 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 yeah. click click finally finish task sorry sorry no not at all no 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 and i i absolutely hear the need for that when you're flying solo and you've got high demand and you're in a high pressure situation i think that's really good yep. sound advice uh when you can allow for reception and a person who knows you to answer the phone. Lovely, oh, love, lovely customer service factor. Yes. Uh, 10 out of 10 score there. Not always possible, I appreciate. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that model. So if you've got someone answering your phone, what's some of the good triage systems that you can set up in place so that that, that person answering the phone, whether they are a virtual assistant or they are your own reception, um, can help get that information out of people without reaching any privacy and can support that person to get an appointment? Well, I think the first thing is, is people often want to tell you the story straight away, don't they? And the poor administration person has to listen to some, you know, extended rave about something or another that has happened to the client, uh, which is often, can sometimes be tragic and quite sad, sometimes yeah. can seem quite weird and various other things, reactions can come from uh, somebody who is not a clinician or from even from clinicians, so, let's say. Yeah. So I think part of it is about sort of thinking about what happens when somebody answers the phone and says, you know, Kay Franken Consulting, um, and then you, you might ask, how can I help? And that person says, I'd like to see Kay. All right, so what, what happens then? Yeah. So for me, what we don't do is slow down. Often what we do is speed up. So we start saying to the person, now what you need is, and then that's forms and then the website, and then look on the website. People often aren't listening. Yeah. Um, and they get past, you know, they might listen for five or 10 minutes, but they're so keyed up to tell their story and to get that appointment that they're not really listening to what you're saying. Mm. Um, so part of it for me is working out what do we want to say in those first few minutes that will settle people down and where we can elicit basic information and then guide them. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's about saying, um, you know, you might, they've said their name and they want to see me. The next step, if, you, if I was answering the phone, might be to say, can I take you through the process of what's going to happen from here? Yeah. Mm, and if you want to know anything about it, then you can go and look on the website. It's all repeated there. What I'm going to tell you now is also on the website. So you might have already read it, but let me tell you, you know, one human to another, mm. which is if you wish to come and see Kay, you need to know that there's a wait. Mm -hmm. We don't let people wait any more than six weeks. So at the moment we are under that time frame for new clients to come in to see her. So, um, which is great. 
great mm. news for you. Um, secondly, you need to have all of your paperwork to us. If you want to know what the paperwork is, go to the website. If you can't access a website, give me an email address or a postal address and I will send it to you. Yes. But know until we get that, all we've had is what is called a introductory conversation. Brilliant. And it's not until we get the paperwork that I can actually then offer you an appointment. Mm. I love that, Kay. I, love, I can see that on the website. Here's our four steps, you know, process for getting an appointment. That's what the person wants. So let's match them, map it out, repeat it on the phone, follow up in the email with the booking. Here's the four steps. You've now ticked off step one. You've got follow two, three, and four to go. Yeah. So clear. That's great, especially if a person's in a situation of trauma as well. That's right. And if they're in a, they're highly anxious because they've had to yeah. ring you anyway. And somebody said, oh, you've got to ring them yourself. You can't just get somebody else to ring. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's another thing. Sometimes people do ring for other people. You need to decide, are you going to accept that kind of call? You might on the basis that they fill out all the stuff and then you can offer them an appointment. Mm. Um, you might say to them, you might have as part of the form filling, um, tell us what your availability is and are you willing to do telehealth, which is all we're offering at the moment. Yeah. If you're waiting for something else, then I will not be taking you onto our wait list. It's not fair to you mm. because I can't tell when our lovely um, premier and other people are going to tell us that we can yeah. do that. So, you know, it, 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 to me, it's about recognising that we just need to, so you can hear this calm voice. Yes. You know, I'm not stuttering and, you know, thinking, well, I don't, know, I don't have an answer to that because yeah. I'm on the front foot and I've got the answers because I already know what the questions are generally. Mm. Now, if somebody stops you there and wants to give you the rave, you may have to do that. It won't work in all cases, but let's say it worked in 75% of cases, you'd be pretty happy with that. Absolutely. Mm. And Kay, when everyone rings up, they're all urgent. How do you yes. work out who's more urgent than others? Well, I think that, that this goes to the forms business, which is mm -hmm. trying to get some information from a GP referral, mm. um, trying to get some information from the client as to what they are looking for, what mm -hmm. the, how they express their problems. Uh, I think asking them what the presenting problem is, is um, a bit sometimes would come over as perhaps a bit too um, particular to a professional sort of way of describing it, but just saying, what, what did you discuss with your GP that made mm. you ring our practice? Something like that. Yeah, or great. what have you identified that you would like to work on with a psychologist? Mm. Because what we know is that when people haven't had psychological treatment before, they have very little idea of really what it looks like. Yes, and the language to use. That's right. And they're expecting it to be the same kind of experience as going to a cardiologist, this is what I often say. Where okay. the cardiologist says, I'm the specialist, I know everything, I've got all your tests here, I'm going to tell you what to do, you're going to go away and do it, you're going to wear a halter for 24 hours, you're going to go and have an ECG, you're going to go and have uh, a look at your heart and whether it's got any um, plaque you know, in the arteries we've got a bunch of tests and then you're going to come back and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next now that's a very instructive yes. directive procedural way of doing things and some people bring that to the to the um to the table when they inquire uh -huh. especially people who come from uh cultural backgrounds where, where doctors in general including psychologists uh appear to be godlike. you know they've got yes. all the answers and they're they're, they're the experts so we have to be aware of that. And on the other hand, I think we have to be aware that young people have watched way too many 
<laughs> in therapy type of programs. <laughs> There's so many around with, you know, I and it used to be, you know, the idea that everybody lay on a couch and couch. <laughs> whatever came into their mind, which is sort of the Freudian kind of school of things. But now it's that we've seen so many um, TV shows and movies and so on with uh, various actors playing to better or or worse uh, extent um, therapists. So mm-hmm. we have to we have to try and define in plain English, no more than year seven level, what we're on about. So good. That applies for all communication. Year yep. seven level website. That's a whole other topic for another day. Yep. Um, <laughs> Kay, tell me, what are some good systems to avoid having numerous spreadsheets of different lists? Well, you see, I've actually got an aversion to Excel. In fact, I think I'm allergic to it. Um, <laughs> although I do recognise it's a very good, uh, obviously, it's a very good spreadsheet um, uh, option. And of course, there are so many others. There are apps that are essentially project management apps such as Asana and Trello and so on and so forth, all of which are perfectly fine. Um, The main thing that people need to consider when they're going to use these spreadsheets is who's going to look at it and make sense of it? And what happens when the spreadsheet pages or the items, for example, on an Excel spreadsheet, get to a certain point where they don't all fit on one page mm. or they can't be viewed on one screen or we've been doing this now for six months and it's choppers so yeah. I think this is where the issues lie around um, I, I, there are many practices who would have uh, all their clients on a list with whose care plans whose reviews are ready you know due mm-hmm. when all of these things, and they feel very comfortable because they feel like nothing can be missed. This is a control thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really trust the practice management software, frankly. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of it may not be trustworthy in the sense that it's not all as capable, you know, not all of them are as capable as others. Yeah. And so I think the question really is, because you see this constant thing on, on Facebook saying, could somebody tell such and such software company to do such and such because it's not there? I can't, I need to be able to do this. And other people go, yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. And it's like, do you think they've got nothing else to do but to think about <laughs> what you need? I'm sure they're aware of it. Um, and it's probably in the works, but you know, they all have their own processes. So I think this is the question for people is, you know, choosing your software um, system is really important in terms of thinking about this issue of tracking. Mm. of making sure that when you've got multiple practitioners particularly that the flags come up at the time and maybe you want a manual system which essentially was what a spreadsheet is even though Mm. it's electronic um but i would say to you you want to be not using that any more than you really have to you want to have a software package that controls waitlist controls um and where it pops up you know, when some when there's a cancellation pops up, so-and-so wants that, would take that time because mm. you've registered them. Mo- many of the, most of them, I would say, most of the practice management software do have this basic facility. Yeah. It's just people aren't using it. Absolutely. I've found that many times when a client, you know, we've got a marketing thing of we want to have this flow, workflow. And yes. I said, look, I'll just ring them and find out. And you get a lovely tech helps you oh, yes, we've got a free webinar on that or, you know, go, go onto YouTube and there's a, someone's done a video on it. And it's just taking that next step of either asking or looking or finding or logging yeah. a job. Most of the top ones have what people need, I've found, but it's just been, I'm too busy, understandably. 
Yeah. I don't have the headspace. And how will we implement that change? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's the old uh, adage of, you know, I didn't go into psychology to be, you know, an IT person. Um, and I didn't go into psychology to be a business person. And I guess I say, well, guess what? Yeah. In private practice, IT and business are basically at the, there are the foundational yep. things that you need to have in place. And if you don't like doing that stuff, then go find somebody who does and pay you. Absolutely. Because those kind of people will be worth their weight in gold. But of course, psychologists are notoriously tight. <laughs> I say this because I know them so well and they, they're my people. Um, but, um, you know, I think they've been used to being, um, you know, running things on a smell of an oily rag a bit and um, doing a lot of things for themselves mm -hmm. um, and not really thinking kind of strategically like if I pay this person X amount of dollars and I train them up to do it the way I like, like them to do it and it's going to be one person, you know, doing my work or whether it's mm -hmm. in the office or wherever, then, you know, that may well be a much better outcome yeah. than you having to spend time learning the ropes if it's not your cup of tea. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, um, you'd, you'd need to be an eight-headed monster if you did it all yourself, wouldn't you? Yeah. You've got to outsource. Stick to your knitting and find find the team. That's Find the team. Have, have a team behind you because practice management systems are not just the software or the apps. It's actually the people who run them both run the systems and run your system and the integration of your system and the digital health system that they provide. Yeah, absolutely. Never hurts to send a few bottles of wine to the uh, tech guy in the, in the practice merchants. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember you for sure. <laughs> um, now, this is one, Kay, have you got some good policies around the gnarly topic of client cancellations and no-shows what is fair um look this is a values question mm. dare I say um yeah. because I think there are people who feel their time is is valuable and people book in for it and if they don't show then they need to pay a cancellation fee yeah. um and I understand that um I and in this day and age you know having uh, if, if your optimal amount of people to see per day is six mm -hmm. and you lose one or two of those every second day, yeah. that's quite a lot of cash out the door and, or not coming in the door, put it that way. Um, and also it can really um, leave you in a bit of a mess in terms of trying to manage that wait list and trying to you know, fill those spots and so on. But the difference with cancellation fees is it's sort of a blunt instrument to get get clients to um, comply. So first of all is this this thing I'm talking about of how do you explain to people why there is a cancellation yeah. fee? And often I read stuff that says things like our therapists are very busy. Um, if there is, I even read one that said if there if they're not fully booked on a day and you if, sorry if they are fully booked on a day and you cancel, then that is one um uh service that they will not get paid for yes i've seen those too ouch really it wasn't about uh, them <laughs> this will not persuade that would persuade me to go the run the other way um you know not so much not to pay the cancellation fee but to think is that what you value so this is my mm. point so so one of the things i think is being clear about the idea like one of the things i often say to people is 
you need to show and demonstrate subsequently that if people come in, you have a sense of urgency to help them as quickly and effectively as you can. Yeah. So that is our driver. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we're basically mapping out a treatment plan and we're saying to our clients, it's going to take us two or three sessions to really be clear about our treatment plan. And then we will pursue it in this way. Given what you've told me today, I would suggest to you we're going to need weekly sessions for three to four sessions. It's just talking about adults, just straight a straight up adult client with high prevalence, depression, anxiety, stress type problem. Mm-hmm. It's going to take us three sessions, individual, individual sessions, weekly apart for preference. And then we possibly will go to a fortnightly routine and then review that at about session five. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to be doing. So yeah. if you're good for that, and if you feel the connection with me and the way I've described what we're going to do and the way I've responded to your the information you sent us beforehand, which I've read thoroughly, and I hope you can hear that in the way I'm um, talking to you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a fair idea what's going on here, but I just want to go away and reflect on it, make sure I've you know, covered off all of the, the parts that are important and come back to you with that treatment plan in the next session or two. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that's all in place, then what I want you to do is to go out to the desk and book in those five sessions, yeah. if you're willing. Yep. Worst case, case scenario is we get to session three and we go, you know what, I'm feeling pretty good. Mm. Um, I think I can have a break. Mm. I might actually cancel the next one and just wait for four weeks. Mm. Now, this is a conversation you can have with the, the client at that time. Yeah. But it basically says, you're booked in. That's mm. our treatment plan. Yes. And if I was a cardiologist and I said to you, I don't need to see you this frequently, frequently to, to monitor everything and to come up with an outcome by session uh, five with me that mm-hmm. would mean you hopefully never had to see me again would mm. you sign up for that yeah I would mm, absolutely All right. well clear in the same way we we're supposed to be providing in that way a specialist mental health service yeah and we don't use the term specialist because it's a you know, no. it's a protected thing protected title but I think we're specializing in and in, in that extent we're at that we're in primary health care but mm. we're actually offering that kind of secondary level um, it's a bit confusing, I know, but just, just to, I think I'm saying to people, think about the idea that we need to create that motivation mm. that people booked in and make it clear to them if they prosecute this, this process of the treatment plan in the frequency you told them, they will get the result they're looking for. Mm. Now people go, oh, that's, oh, that's promising something that I can, I'm not sure I can deliver, I guess I say. Well, I think one of the things we have to back our own capacity But generally speaking, that's the way I work with somebody with your presentation. And I think that's the, that's the whole thing that psychologists are very, they get very tense about this. They don't like to um, predict or give mm. um, suggestions about how long something will take. And then when people cancel, they don't really have any way of knowing why. Mm. Was it they had a better offer? Well, in lockdown, there's no better offer than getting online to your psychologist, is it? But, you know. <laughs> Let's say it's a nice day and somebody rings up and says, do you want to go out for a coffee? And they go, oh, I've got my psychologist appointment. Oh, I'll just cancel it. Um, you know, what, what brings on that attitude? Yes. And I not- think what we've got to recognise is that's something we're not offering. It may be something in the client. I'm not saying it isn't. But we need to think about our responsibility 
to create that therapeutic alliance and that therapeutic connection. So mm. that person is looking forward to and prioritises seeing us yeah. over the coffee or some other activity. Um, and if they can't do it, they give us notice and all good. Yes. I love the respect that that creates. So you, because you've come at it from a values perspective, not an operational need, it does increase that or I'm respecting the help that this person is giving me. So then I'm going to increase the respect of the arrangement and vice versa without any of the guilt of if you cancel this at the last minute, someone else will miss out on their vital health service. We don't need that guilt either, do we? It's this is the plan. Give us 24 hours notice if you need to change it. Or, and if someone's sick on the day, okay, which oh gosh, is going to happen. You don't want them to come in and be sitting no. across from you. Yep oh, my child's got measles, I'm at home, I can't no come thanks. to my appointment, no thanks. Well, telehealth, reschedule. Yes. And we're not, well, not going to charge you for that, surely. Well, and I guess it is about saying at any one point in time, you know, you can waive these things. Um, yeah. I think in a group practice, you can ask the psychologist whether they want to waive it if it's a contracted situation. Often psychologists want to pass it off to admin. Mm. Uh, which then leads to this, you know, this sort of more, uh, um, what do you call it, perhaps a more bureaucratic or more administrative re response, which is, you know, other people are being deprived of this position. And, and I think sometimes administrators can take on the anxiety of a practice director or the practitioner and know that knowing that, you know, that means that person won't have six sessions, they only have five or four or whatever it is. Mm. And then they kind of are punitive towards the cancelling client who then doesn't come back at all mm. um, because they feel like well it's not fair you know I've got all these people on a wait list and you just decide on the day not to come and I understand that but it's again for us as leaders of our own practices to help that administrator to realize you may feel those things but you need to keep them to yourself or talk to me about them yeah we, what we need to do is express something different that will actually engage people and motivate them because if they were people who are naturally motivated, naturally resilient, naturally capable, or in, their, in a circumstance where they're capable of looking after themselves, then they wouldn't be coming to see us. Exactly. Where's the compassion? I, you know, so yeah. let's have the compassion. Let's think about it from their point of view. And then let's be, if you like, the, the bigger person and think, how am I going to express to them the reason why they need to come here and keep up with appointments at the pace that we try? tried to set out at the start and I guess I so said that's when you know you may say if the, if the client's you know un, unhappy about the cancellation fee so you may have a policy that says if you're unhappy I will um, hold that back at this point make you another appointment and you can discuss it with your psychologist because mm. now some practice directors would say I'd rather administration dealt with it I don't want the client the psychologist involved they'll only go soft on it which is true and it's the same reason I had this conversation the other day with someone who said, oh, I think what we need are clinicians doing intake. I said, well, that would be, mean that whoever was on intake got all the clients because they build this marvellous yeah. therapeutic alliance with people um, and then they'd be full and that would be it. You know, that's not actually the skill set. <laughs> so I think it's got what is the skill set and then how do you deal with, I guess, what are human reactions related to relationships within the clinic that then lead to sometimes unfortunate outcomes for the client and for the practice eventually. Yeah, everything starts with a conversation, doesn't it? I, I'm just thinking about some chats that I've had with anaesthetists many times that say, look, we have a terrible problem getting people to pay our bill. 
because they don't see us. Sometimes they don't know that expect that it's going to be that high that we've sat there for six or eight hours while the person's had their surgery. And the first they first thing they hear of us is the invoice in the mail. Yeah. And so Megan, will you come in and train our staff on better customer service to get that money paid? Well, hang on. I think we've got a <laughs> horse and a cart issue here. <laughs> All starts with a conversation, doesn't it? If yeah. you were going in for a procedure, you'd want to know, well, what are you going to do? What's your role? What's the involvement? Can I have a ballpark figure? Yes, I've signed to agree on that. I understand what's going to happen next. And okay, so there's not going to be that sticker shock when it shows up. And I, I think sometimes we forget that health is going to feel like to a consumer uh, as a rude shock when they have a different expectation, isn't it? Well, it's personal, you know, you yeah. know, and I guess what I'm saying to, what I'd be saying to people listening to this podcast, don't take the process, excuse me, of establishing a cancellation policy and then implementing it personally. Mm. Think strategically, think about it from the point of view of the client Yes. And think about then how you're going to express that in the way your staff interact with them, you interact with them, your website, the forms, the whole process, mm -hmm. because then you're going to get less of that. You have five to 10% of people who are still problematic. Yeah. And I know, so sometimes people say, what do you do about repeat offenders? People oh. cancel all the time. Yeah. You know? I get that question a lot. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer for me is somebody needs to talk with that person about their repeat cancellation tendencies and take again a compassionate viewpoint so it seems that you have difficulty keeping appointments in advance mm. if we keep booking appointments and you keep cancelling you're just going to rack up fees that you can't pay yes and also your psychologist is going to get a bit jack of the fact that you're not there for them to pursue the treatment plan that they've set up with you that they're yeah. really keen to help you with so how would it be if on a monday I rang you knowing that you're not, these are people often who aren't working, but are very chaotic, they're yeah. low functioning, et cetera. Yep. You know, I'm going to ring you on a Monday and I'm going to look at, you know, Claire's, uh, use my name, Kay's uh, program. And I'm going to see where there's a couple of cancellations and I'm going to offer them to you. And you need to choose one mm. knowing that once you choose that, then there will be a cancellation fee if you don't show. Mm. So we'll do it one, one at a time. Yes. And it'll be me calling you at the start of the week to say there's one, you know, 11 o'clock on Wednesday is available. Are you in? Yes. And you and need to say yes. And we need to talk about how you're going to make that happen. That's so good, Kay, for accommodating different people's thought processes. You know, if you don't have very good short-term memory, whatever else the okay. issues that are, you know, people you're are cognitively with. impaired in some way because of your you, mood Kay. and various <laughs> other things. Yeah. Yeah. Your expertise, definitely not mine. Um, then why are we treating everyone the same way with yep. appointments that are set so far in advance when some people don't have diaries and don't keep information that way? Yeah, I, I started doing that probably uh, about two years into running a, a, de a decent sized group practice and it did me well right through to the end of doing that. So, yeah. um, and we had very little out of that that went wrong. Um, mm except for reasons we couldn't necessarily have known. So again, that five to 10% that will just always be difficult to manage. And unfortunately, admin will probably spend more of the time on them than, than the whole 80 or 90% of the rest of the client group. The business that we're in, hey. And okay, wrapping up our conversation of which again, we could talk for three days on, and I love talking mm. to you. <laughs> um, tell us about support for front office people. 
Yes. Um, so a couple of things I would say that are really important about um, your front office people is, first of all, I think we often attract people to those roles who like the time frame that we're offering. So there's many practices will offer a nine to three type of um, job as their stalwart, if you like, of reception. And then they might have students or, you know, psycho provisional psychologists, registrars, whoever, um, who are being paid as an administrator to do the after-hours stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with that system. Mm -hmm. That said, if you can recruit somebody for whom this may become their idea of a career, that is gold. Yeah. And I think part of it is if you're going to go looking for somebody like that because you see yourself working in, in your clinic for at least the next five to ten years, and that's about as far ahead as you need to think really in this stuff. Absolutely. And, and, but, but you don't have, I guess I'd say, don't just think about next week and the week after. Think about that two to five year period, possibly longer. If you're 40 and you're going to, going to do this and have somebody working for you, then you need to think about offering them the opportunity to do a practice management um, diploma. Mm -hmm. You need to think about offering them opportunities to do some of the online trainings that are around these days for um, administrators such as some of those that you offer and are, there are others around as well mm. um, and really giving them input that you can then talk with them about what did you learn out of that what did you find useful because they're doing training and stuff we never did training in mm. so they're especially these practice manager um, courses a lot of them will have uh, people doing practice management in allied health but also obviously in GP practices and like what can they bring to the practice from their studies why not give them study leave, you know, to do that? You might say, well, I'm prepared. If you sign up, um, I'm prepared to pay part of, the, part of the tuition fee and I'm also prepared to give you some study leave, which we can discuss. Maybe. So I think it's really thinking about that um, and, and thinking to yourself, how do I actually put that money into that so that it actually flourishes? And that person will be usually, if you've done the right, I guess selection process um, that goes. We can talk about HR some other time, um, but um, yeah. but uh, you know you can actually get the right person uh, on your team, leading your team, and that that person will be hopefully loyal to you, mm. and loyalty and trust, and having somebody who has your back. You can't pay for that. You mm -hmm. have to cultivate it and create it, and this is a values, um, I guess, a values discussion as well, um, and I've. I've had to get rid of a few people. Don't worry, out of administration. I, I, I've had some. I've made some bad choices, and they made some bad choices coming to work for me, possibly. But you know, it's not always you know easy. But yeah. once you find that person, then you need to think carefully about what what can you spend on yeah. supporting them and building their career. Mm. Fantastic advice. I love that. And and. You know, this, this notion of I'm getting whoever I can to fit that time, the person who will accept the, the rate that I'm offering. Uh, I'm, I'm often a bit shocked at the expectation of what people pay practice managers. Um, you know, I, I would say, people saying, what, should, what should you pay them? I said, go on the university employment sites for students and check out what they say is the minimum wage for an undergraduate um, person to come and do some work for you okay you'll find it's around the 25 dollars an hour mark mm. and you want to pay uh, somebody to staff your front of be the front line worker for your um, practice 19 dollars 
yeah you know it's it's a false economy i do understand that sometimes people have to make shortcuts and there are problems with mm. cash flow but i guess i'd say then you know the old-fashioned overdraft may have to be thought about yeah. um, you may have to have a budget that says i'm going to extend what i'm doing and need to take uh, some money out of a mortgage or on an overdraft um, in mm. order to do so and then I guess in a discussion with your accountant, work out how am I going to recoup that by having that person doing that work in a much more effective way that doesn't require me to be there doing, running along behind them, fixing up things they've stuffed up. Exactly. And we'll start out with the practice of doing those automated strategies we, we said at the, at the yeah. beginning, until then you can fund the person and get the right person and pay and look after them properly. I've got a young um, um, mental health accredited social worker I've been working with who I have a lot of time and uh, regard for young early career like probably five six years out um, she's spent an enormous amount of money and time building an effective administrative team building her practice um, her ultimate goal is not to work as much as she is to to do a lot of the things many of us uh, want for ourselves which is hopefully get somebody else to make the money and for us not to have to work on the tools quite as much as we do but she knows that's quite a few years off yeah and she's in the right place in her life uh, to be able to do that mm. so if you're not in the right place in your life then you need to think about how to modify you may need to have to pay people to help you with this if you have a young family that you need to be with or whatever it is so again it's a values um, story and cutting corners uh, on on either side the work-life balance uh, sort of process probably won't get you what you want yeah okay you you're just firing up a couple of other really good topics there the HR one I'm just thinking <clears throat> okay recruitment marketing growing from one to two that's the question I get asked all the time contractor versus sham contractor versus employee versus rent a room uh, if any of these are resonating with anyone that listening in, please drop me an email if you'd like Kay and I to do a topic on these. But also what you just said then about the time it takes to grow a business. I had someone say to me the other day, gosh, you're doing well. And I said, I'm a 14 year overnight success. <laughs> this stuff takes time, doesn't it? Like it's not Absolutely. Magic. I mean, I've been doing, strictly doing coaching for four years and I'd say I'm only just sort of getting there and I've done training I've done so much I've done 30 years of practice run run practices and so forth as you know and wrote the book and still I haven't got it right I don't have all the answers and I am continually learning you know new stuff and um yeah it's 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 takes it always takes longer than you than you'd like doesn't it definitely maybe? absolutely yeah. <laughs> okay is there anything you wanted me to ask you that I haven't um I think we've pretty much covered it off uh you you uh gave me a sort of a draft question which was what makes an ideal front office team member oh yes um and I guess I'd say the final thing I'd say that there are many people who are blessed with family members who work for them ah and that's an interesting topic as well Mm. um so uh whether it's uh children adult children <laughs> oh, yes. or a partner and um uh, that might be one for another time but uh I think like most things it has its pros and cons um but if it's done well it can be the making of things Absolutely. and uh so that's that's something to uh, take into account there are some amazing family teams out there and then there are some others where there's 
it's just better off kept separate, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And and I, I was very lucky at a, at a point in time where I was really getting into this coaching stuff and I really want to get the standards of my practice. Schmick, I had my daughter who at the time was uh, training to be a lawyer come in and work for me for a, sort of like a gap, gap year that she had. If I hadn't heard, had her detailed mind, which was as annoying as hell, I have to say, now <laughs> mum, um, she always started with now mum, you know, but really that was uh, very helpful. But I think it's an interesting question um, just how you deal with that because I think people often do have family members, especially doing after hours, um, <laughs> bins on reception and so forth. Uh, so that may be uh, a topic for a special group. <laughs> Who are doing that and would like like to have a bit of group therapy on it <laughs> support group for family members exactly. oh dear oh, hey dear. thank you so much as always Welcome. so good to talk to you and we will be talking again soon <laughs> we will thank you see you